Hi, this is Damon Pistolka, host of the Faces of Business podcast, where we talk to interesting people about life and business. We cover their backgrounds, obstacles they've encountered, and find out what drives them. Along the way, our guests share nuggets you can use to drive your success. Reach me directly, D-A-M-O-N at ExitYourWay.us, or check out our website, ExitYourWay.us, for more information. I hope you enjoy our show. All right, everyone. Welcome once again to the Faces of Business. I'm your host, Damon Pastolka. And today with me, I'm excited because I've got a very special guest, Thomas Campbell. Glad to have you here today. Glad to be here, Damon. Appreciate it. it yeah, it's, this is exciting for me, Thomas, because I, I, from time to time, I get to interview business buyers and you are, are a great example of a, of a business buyer and, and quite honestly, some that our clients tend to work with. So mm -hmm. it's really exciting for me to be able to let you share a bit about your background, you know, and kind of your, you know, how you ended up deciding to buy a business and, and the process and then some of the experiences you've had with that. Sure. Yeah. I would love to. So, yeah. So tell us about your background here. Okay. Uh, well, my background, I guess, uh, starting from the beginning, I'm a Navy brat, so bounce around a good bit growing up, but uh, Charleston, South Carolina is kind of home um, where my folks are still. I uh, got my undergrad at uh, Babson College up in the Northeast, which yeah. for those who aren't familiar is, you know, small school that kind of specializes in business. Um, from there, you know, I kind of graduated right in, uh, as the uh, Great Recession was kicking off in 2008. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, whatever hopes and dreams and career paths I thought I might have pursued uh, as a bright young undergrad kind of <laughs> went by the wayside pretty quick uh, and ended up actually kind of as a financial analyst working in real estate for a minute. And it was a little bit of a winding path to get where I am today from there. I, uh, you know, ended up transitioning to helping out a large um, Navy branch of the, you know, Navy yeah. there in Charleston uh, with migrating their enterprise management systems over to SAP. Okay. Um, so I was in charge of managing all their financial data, which a lot of responsibility for, you know, <laughs> yeah, I guess uh, to trust uh, somebody who's pretty young and inexperienced, but managed to get through it. And they hired me on briefly, but uh, to be a full-time government employee uh, towards the end of my contract. But by that point, I'd also started to send out feelers uh, yeah. to the folks that I've worked with before in real estate. And that's kind of how I got on the path I currently am on. I uh, ended up connecting with some um, startup investors who had backed a alternative energy company focused on um, different technology applications within oil and gas and alternative fuels. Uh, one thing led to another and we purchased a uh, tire recycling factory outside of Charleston um, with the intent of using the tires as kind of uh, fuel for some of the technology applications that we had in mind. Um, I was a controller for this tire recycling plant. It was one of the largest in South Carolina at the time. Um, didn't know the first thing about being a controller, but yeah. uh, 
had to kind of learn on the fly. And there was a lot to cover everything from chasing down accounts receivable to, you know, listening to vendors, uh, <laughs> asking to get paid, um, making sure payroll was met every week. And, uh, likewise, making sure that the equipment was all in good shape, that the trucks were going out, what have you. Yeah. Um, so, you know, trial by fire and, you know, within a couple months though, of buying the business, we were approached by a Canadian company looking to buy us out and move, migrate their own manufacturing from China to the United States. Um, you know, we kind of were operating on basis of good faith and I was kind of feeling like, you know, pretty good about it at first, but, um, you know, they made us a lot of promises. They told us that they were going to close within a few months. They asked us in order to get the deal done, they needed us to uh, ramp up capacity and start investing in some of the, you know, new equipment, what have you, which we did. Um, unfortunately, the check ended up being in the mail for about a year. Yeah. <laughs> and meanwhile, we had kind of overextended ourselves by plowing that operating capital back into growing the business. So, you know, I spent about a year kind of sleeping at the plant and going without pay, trying to, you know, make sure the payroll was met and that, uh, you know, the lights were able to stay on um, until the deal closed. Um, and it was it was a pretty rough, you know, experience for somebody my age, not one that I definitely don't care to uh, <laughs> repeat, but the experience was pretty invaluable. And yeah. uh, from there, went up to Wilmington, got a job as a controller for a uh, apparel manufacturing business doing screen print and embroidered uh, apparel. Yeah. Uh, while there, founded, co-founded a uh, yoga studio of all yeah. things, <laughs> yeah. not too far away in Carolina Beach. Um, got that business um, humming as much as I could, automated a lot of my responsibilities using different technologies and what have you. Um, so that really kind of opened my eyes to a lot of the, um, yeah, efficiencies that could be gained and from just instituting good standard operating procedures and some of the yeah. newer technologies that were coming out. And from there, took that experience to a uh, woman's shoe company based out of Charleston, uh, yeah. Charleston Shoes. So some of, some of your listeners may actually know of this company just through, uh, their spouses or they themselves being uh, <laughs> fans. But at any rate, they've got, you know, a couple dozen locations throughout the West Coast and East Coast, Florida, New England, okay. uh, Manhattan, as well as, you know, Charleston. Mm -hmm. um, and when I came on board, the business, you know, was owned by a young woman who, um, knew a lot about designing and selling shoes, but uh, didn't have much in the way of traditional business background. And so it had done about four and a half million dollars the year prior to my coming on board. But unfortunately, my predecessor had taken advantage of kind of some of the lack of controls in place to uh, commit about, you know, better part of uh, half a million dollars in credit card fraud. Oh, wow. Destroyed the books on the way out. Um, and, you know, so when I came on board, commissions and payroll taxes, what have you, hadn't been paid in months. Yeah. There were no, was no bookkeeping. Um, so pretty much immediately was kind of triage type situation where I, uh, you know, 
had to rebuild the books from scratch based on bank statements, um, had to get new payroll systems and, uh, you know, timekeeping systems implemented within the first week, get everybody mm-hmm. caught up. Um, and then from there, you know, one thing, one blessing certainly was that the business was growing rapidly. So, you know, everything had been run on pen and paper. They had no idea what they had in inventory or wow. really anything. Um, and so that was the next thing. So in the first few months, I uh, rolled out new point of sale systems, inventory, uh, management systems, what have you for their e-commerce, wholesale, retail business lines of, uh, business. And, uh, yeah, over the next couple of years kind of helped grow the team and, uh, handled everything from kind of finance, operations, technology, marketing, you name it. Um, letting the owner kind of focus on what she enjoyed doing, which was, like I said, designing and selling shoes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, um, grew the business from four and a half to by the time I left 12 and a half million in two years. Wow. Um, the, you know, had to backfill me. I, we hired, a you know, Harvard MBA, uh, president with a bunch of years in the apparel industry to kind of take over my role from the strategy side of things, as well as a financial manager and, uh, you know, tech admin. So yeah. basically replaced my role with three folks. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, from there got my MBA at UNC and, you know, didn't really know what I wanted to do with my MBA at the time. I, uh, felt though that I'd kind of reached the pinnacle of where I could get, um, within my current career path. You know, I was CFO, CO for lack of a better term of a small business. Um, you know, I wanted to continue to progress and, you know, learn, but, uh, didn't know what that looked like. You know, the uh, fact was that larger businesses didn't really appeal. You know, I liked the thrill and motivation that being in a small business provides the feeling that your work, your effort matters. Um, and having that laundry list of 101 things that needed to get done range from urgent to needed to be done yesterday on, you know, fire. Yeah. That be yeah. Put out. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, went in kind of a little bit blind as far as, you know, what my next, you know, steps in my career would look like. Um, thought about consulting and a few other things, but, uh, one of the clubs there, uh, UNC invited a couple speakers, uh, the private equity club, which I had just yeah. kind of joined for, you know, to see what it was about. And one of the speakers happened to me, one of the partners currently backing me, um, at okay. search fund accelerator. And, um, they introduced me to the concept of search, um, about how, you know, basically young motivated talent with, uh, typically with MBAs, but not always, um, you know, to try to attract them away from these high paying six figure jobs being thrown their way by fortune 500 companies. You know, this model had kind of been created to, uh, incentivize them to buy small businesses, uh, with, you know, investor capital and, you know, receive a CEO compensation and responsibilities, but also have some, uh, sweat equity for Mm -hmm. their efforts. And for me, it was just kind of like a light bulb going off. Um, I chased the guy down the hallway after the, you know, asking about, you know, kind of next steps and how I learned was going to go about learning more. 
Um, so, you know, it was given a few resources, including kind of a Stanford primer on search funds that they release every couple of years, detailing kind of all the trends within the space and went to a Harvard conference later that fall uh, where I met a number of other individuals kind of within the search fund community. And uh, yeah. 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 It's kind of a funny story, though. While there, uh, there was nobody else from UNC there, um, and there was nobody else from Duke. It was a bunch of MBAs from the Northeast that were attending this conference. Uh, but for one guy who's standing, you know, I saw this one dude standing off in the corner at the cocktail hour afterwards, and wandered over to introduce myself, not knowing many people there. And lo and behold, he was the only other person from, uh, from my state. Um, he was a Duke MBA. And yeah. he's pursuing search. And, you know, we've got to talk and kind of bemoaning the fact that the, the concept, the model of search just didn't really, you know, wasn't really popular, you know, well known within the Southeast. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of the conferences or, you know, booth up in uh, Chicago, um, as well as Harvard and then Stanford on the West Coast. Yeah. And, uh, so, yeah, we get decided, you know, if anybody was going to change it, might as well be us. So we went ahead and got the ball rolling on starting a, uh, a Southeast entrepreneurship through acquisition conference okay. there at uh, Duke university. Um, and yeah, through that got to know a lot of folks involved in the community, even more investors, um, searchers, CEOs, mm -hmm. uh, who had formerly been searchers as well as, you know, uh, folks who support that community, attorneys, accountants yeah. that uh, advise on the diligence that's involved, which I'm sure we can get into. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's awesome listening to your background, Thomas, because uh, and I'll go back a ways because, first of all, people, unless, you, unless you've been in a turnaround situation like you were in a couple of them, and I, that's what I did uh, for mm -hmm. the vast part of my career for for investment owners, is our turnarounds and and people that if you've never been in those situations people don't understand why you would ever want to go into it but the thrill of doing it and being successful in it it's addictive because you can yeah. that the amount of change that you can really make by getting people aligned and getting systems in place and getting things going is really incredible so Absolutely. that's that's one of the things that's pretty cool about it sorry i didn't have the the camera set right at the beginning but um the uh the other thing that's that that does for you though those scrappy situations you know where you have no money but you have to still do it and you still have to execute and all the things you have to do that prepares you for being an entrepreneur later down the road mm -hmm. it really does yep. I, I i just i think about that and i i want to make sure that that i at least say it because that kind of thing teaches you invaluable lessons that take some entrepreneurs years and years and years to figure out but when you drop into yeah. those situations like you said it's trial by fire and you learn it tomorrow if not today you know your second day yeah no they, they don't teach you in business school what to do when your foreman uh disappears on the first day of deer hunting season or yeah. you know that accounts receivable check that you're waiting on to make payroll is 30 days late <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> you know, exactly 
Yeah, exactly. There's some of those things that you learn how to do. And like you said, you brought up a couple of times of, you know, people calling wanting to get paid or people you trying to get payment. You know, that's that's just not a lot of uh, when you understand that you really get to understand that, you know, a business is almost like a human being where you've got to feed it. and There's mm -hmm. things that come out and it's just it's really interesting when you can have that that type of experience. And I, and I can see now how it, this this translated for you into becoming a search fund buyer. And I can also see then how your experience uh, gave investors behind you now confidence in backing you because yeah. someone that went to school, went out and got a, a job at a big fortune 100 company and decided to do mm -hmm. this. Hey, there's nothing wrong with that. And, and, but, and deciding to become a, uh, uh, an entrepreneur, there's nothing wrong with that. But I think if, if something doesn't go exactly right, you've got to, you've got to leg up on them and figuring out how to get and make it right. That's the idea. And certainly, uh, you know, operating experience is invaluable. And a lot of folks have great experience working at these larger companies. Um, some of them investment banking or finance or whatnot. Yep. Um, but the folks who are backing me in particular, they, were very interested in the fact that I had real operating experience, yeah. um, both in terms of managing large teams of people, also yep. just, you know, rolling with the day-to-day -day, um, fires that just happen, you know? And yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think this is, this is a great, great, I mean, I'm, I'm just so thankful that I get to talk to you today because that, because your experience is even better than I thought as we talked the, after the first time. But the, uh, the thing that most people don't understand is, is you have to sell yourself twice mm -hmm. to become a search fund, search fund buyer. Like you're doing mm -hmm. with, you have to sell yourself first, the investors that say, yes, if you find the right opportunity, we, right. we will do that. And then you have to sell yourself again to the owner and the investors to back you in a specific business. The owner that's selling the business and the investors is going to invest you behind you in that business. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's one of these, <laughs> one of the things is like these investors, you know, they're putting a lot of money at stake. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But, and the worst case scenario for them is a failed investor. Yes. Uh, sorry, a failed company, a failed, a failed company. Yeah, a failed, yeah, you know, bad a failed, buy. A bad buy is the worst outcome. Um, yeah. You know, failed search, it happens. Nobody wants it, but that's kind of you know the expected risk. Yeah. Um, and that a failed search meaning just simply, uh, you know, somebody in my shoes who, you know, yeah. puts a lot of time and effort in, but comes up short and just for yeah. one reason or another doesn't find a company to buy. Um, but yeah, if you buy a company and um, you know, the investors, they want to make sure that whoever they're putting in charge knows what they're doing and you know, cause they're trusting them with a large check. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that is, that is so key. And I think that's one of the things that when I'm working with business sellers, I am uh, always trying to have them put themselves into the the uh, buyer's shoes because an owner of a business that sells it, say I've got a, 
say I've got a $10 million HVAC company and I've had it for 25 years and I started mm -hmm. it in my own truck or I, I, I bought a small business and grew it up and I've got this big, I don't have debt in that business anymore. Probably not much, maybe a little bit. And I don't, I don't really, I, I don't have that, that kind of debt load that you're going to have when you buy a business because not if I walk in and have to pay, Six, six, seven million, five million, whatever the number is on that business, I have to pay that back. Yeah, to, you know, I got a reasonable time to pay that back. Now I've got that chunk of money comes out first every month, and, and you mm -hmm. got it, and and that, and that starts to really eat into what you can actually pay for a business. And I, and I look at this, and I see uh, the worst thing that can happen are public companies doing deals in spaces that that you're going to try to buy in or we're going to try to have people sell businesses <laughs> in because they, they don't bother to, to uh, research the fact that private or public companies are valued much higher because they're public and, and the way that right. the sizes and everything else. But um, getting into that buyer perspective is something I'd like to talk about a little bit because, mm -hmm. you know, you have a much different profile and a different look at the way, the cash from a business with, because just for example, if a business is making a million dollars and you have to pay 5 million, you know, you, that debt load right off the bat is a pretty good chunk of money that comes out every month. And that, that's Damn something it. that, yep. Are you still there? Oh, you're cut out for a second. Cut out for mm -hmm. a second. No worries. We're back. Okay. But, yep. You know, you as a business buyer that, you know, if you, if you have to, if you're buying a million, a million dollar EBITDA business and mm -hmm. say it's 5 million, you know, you, you are not the owner sitting there, they're pulling their income out of that business or is setting in the business, whatever. They're not paying that, that loan part of your buy, but you coming in as the buyer. Now you have to pay what two thirds of that, uh, uh, of the cost in a loan. Yep. That's, that's going to have, I mean, it's got principal and interest payments like everything else. So yep. you coming into that business, the cash flow looks much different because there's a chunk of that cash flow is gone that that owner is sitting there today that's going to sell the business has available to them. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, so that's a big part of it. You know, you basically to break it down a little bit further uh, on that point, you know, if you, you've got really three different types of individual buyers, right? You've got your, um, you know, self-funded buyer. Mm -hmm. And these are folks who have either been relatively successful in their own right and have some cash uh, set yep. aside that they're looking to buy a business and, you know, kind of get back into it. Um, or they may have another stream of income, either through their spouse or through, you know, military benefits, what have you. Um, and oftentimes they're going to be looking at these businesses with an eye towards financing it through an SBA loan. Um, and for them, the risk is pretty palpable because there's a personal guarantee yep. on that SBA loan. If the business yeah. fails, they potentially lose the house. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so their families, uh, they and their families' livelihoods are very much at stake. Yep. Um, and then likewise, you know, you've got two other kind of search fund uh, individual buyer types, one being traditional where they go out and they raise equity from um, a bunch of investors, sometimes institutional investors, sometimes a uh, bunch of individual, wealthy individuals, uh, mm -hmm. usually a mix. Um, and then, you know, key difference there being though that when they do find a company, they have to 
raise that equity to buy the company from that group of investors. Um, but in the meantime, they're at least, you know, they are able to raise that initial small fund to pay themselves a salary and, you know, live somewhat comfortably, pay their, um, you know, team of analysts and interns, office space, what have you, and diligence costs. Yeah. Um, in their case, the debt that is being put on the business is oftentimes going to be senior debt from just a traditional bank um, that they don't have a personal guarantee for. Yeah. Um, and as well, usually there's a certain amount of seller debt, mm-hmm. which, um, yeah, point being, though, is that, you know, and I guess the third group I should mention is actually the, the path that I'm going, where you have a um, sole sponsor, a single either family office or, um, for lack of a better term, kind of group of investors structured like a private equity group who are yeah. funding your search and funding the acquisition. Yeah. Um, and there's a number of advantages and potentially disadvantages to, you know, the, the different models that we can go into if you'd like. But um, point being is that in every case, there is a tremendous amount of risk that uh, we're having to judge and, you know, both yeah. in terms of the ability of the business to finance that debt, um, because if it doesn't, you know, if it has a bad year, it can be a really bad year. Yeah. Um, and, you know, basically searchers or individual buyers are putting their life on hold for one or two years. They're kind of putting their entire lives in limbo. They don't know where the biz- what kind of business they're going to buy. We yeah. don't know where it's going to be. And yeah. we don't know if it's going to be successful. Yeah. Uh, we, you know, so if we make a wrong move, if we buy the wrong business, you know, that's, that's a serious amount of years of our lives and as well, you know, capital from friends, family, you know, investors yeah. that we've essentially lost um, mm-hmm. as well as our own, you know, having to kind of start from scratch in terms of our own livelihoods. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point because it is, it is. And, and I, I'm glad you, I'm glad you touched about, uh, touched on that a little bit from a personal side of what the, the, the buyer search fund type buyer goes through because you are literally in a, in a large private equity firm. They've got people that are searching for businesses every day that are going out to conferences that are doing the email campaigns. And, you know, every every business owner that's listening to me right now, I bet you've got if you've got more than a couple million in revenue, you've been hit by these emails of people trying to market to buy your business is Mm -hmm. uh, the uh, that's what they've got. They've got those cadres of people that are doing it. But in the search fund case, a lot of your work is is individual and you've got you have more control over a small team of people or just sometimes themselves looking Mm -hmm. for businesses that they want to buy. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. We got some, we got some comments here. I want to share real quick, Thomas. I think Jeffrey Graham put this in there. He's uh, someone I know that he's been a, uh, uh, he, he's been a private equity CEO before. So he's, he's been in the trenches and out of the trenches. So it's good to see that. <laughs> and, yep. and, uh, he also in that process, he was talking, I think this was when we were talking about, uh, raising capital, he's raised capital too with people. So that's pretty <laughs> funny. Uh, and, and then imagine another, another friend of mine in, in Las Vegas there. He's just, he's just saying he loves the conversation. So thanks guys for listening. <laughs> Love to hear it. But, uh, yeah, Thomas, Thomas Campbell here with me here today. It's awesome conversation. 
conversation about this so far, man. And I, I just love that look you just gave us into the, the different types of, of buyers. Cause I, I just, I can't, I can't emphasize it. Couldn't find my word there. I can't emphasize enough with, mm -hmm. with a, with, with people that are looking to sell a business, the importance of reducing as much risk as they can out of their business, because you as a buyer coming in, your risk profile is completely different. Like you said, you're yep. laying, you're laying, you know, a couple years on the line, just trying to find that business. And then you're laying out, you know, in an SBA situation, you could be on the line for the loan. And, in, and even if you're in a other kind of situation where you're not having a personal guarantee, it could literally ruin your career by going out and doing one of these bad and, and not yep. not making it in that business and the investors losing their money with a bad purchase. So that yep. that is I just. I just can't emphasize that enough. I'm just going to say the same thing again, because I want people to think about that. If you're considering the sale of a business that's sizable, because that is something that, you know, customer concentration, you know, the owner being too much in the business, um, not having duplicate resources or too dependent on something, but we'll get yep. into some of that stuff. But those are the kind of risks that you have to look in. Or if I'm a hundred percent of a market in a small area and I can't expand, you know, growth yep. and, and just there's so many things. But so I've got you've been looking for a while now. Yep. I about so this yeah, about a year. So this is this is this is where the fun questions come in. I I really think. I mean, you're, the stuff you've shared so far is awesome, dude. I I really appreciate that. But mm -hmm. what I was wondering at wondering about is just roughly how many companies have you looked at? Oh man. Okay. <laughs> well, it depends on your definition of looked at in terms of having had conversations with. Um, yeah, let's just so, start there. Okay. So I probably have give or take about a, you know, dozen conversations per week. So if you yep. want to think about that, um, that's about, let's say five to 600 conversations. Over there the you go. <laughs> 500 plus. That's good. Yeah, that's good. That's yeah. a good number. So then out of those 500 conversations, how many did you get to the point to where you signed a non-disclosure agreement and actually looked at them just roughly again? Yeah, man. So where I actually, so it's actually two steps in the process. Signing a non-disclosure agreement is the easy part. And I probably have done maybe, I don't know, 75 to 100 NDAs. Okay. Um, and that probably includes broker deals. Maybe, okay. maybe, maybe more than a hundred yeah. uh, when you throw broker deals in there. But yeah. Um, yeah, the hard part is, you know, you can have an incredibly good conversation with a seller. You think you're clicking, the seller is motivated. You think it's a great company. You're interested. You send an NDA and you wait to hear back in crickets. Nothing. You ping them again, you know, a few days later, maybe a week later. And, you know, maybe they say they're working on it. Maybe they say nothing like you, you just, and certainly I understand it from the seller's perspective, you know, they're running a business, they've got a life to live. It's you know yeah. busy. And unless you're feeling really pressured or motivated to sell the business, you got, you got other fish to fry. I get it. But certainly from, yeah, from my perspective, it's uh, it's one of those things where it's a little soul crushing when you go from a high of thinking, Oh man, this could be the one to just nothing. Uh. 
Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. You, uh, you very quickly learn to temper your, uh, expectations. (laughs) Yeah. No doubt. Um, No doubt that I, that's, that's great too. And I'm sitting here looking, I think this is, I can't see who's comment. Oh yeah. Cause Jeff, Jeff said again, because he's been through the deal process, you know, deal fatigue is real. And, and, uh, that's, that's a good a good one to add to it, but that's a that's a great way to describe it. Is because you do. I mean, you you are potentially finding a something that could last a, a long time and mm-hmm. and be a great career move for you. And it's it's you're investing a lot emotionally and and time wise in the beginning. And and to get ghosted like that, that's that's got to be pretty. Yep. It's something just like this, like in a sales process, you have to get used to it and realize it's yep. part of a part of doing it. And, you know, I think I touched on this earlier, but, you know, I think that's one of the hardest things for me is, you know, like I said, I'm used to high pace, high pressure, working in a small business where I'm constantly doing things and seeing real results for my efforts. And, you know, with search, you know, I'm sending out hundreds of emails per week. I'm having, you know, dozen plus phone calls, I'm working on financials, I'm doing a lot of work. And, you know, I may go a few months and not have a single thing get close to an LOI. And it's just, yeah, it it, feeling like you're doing all this and not making any headway is uh, it's, it's very uh, demotivating. And I, that's probably been one of the hardest aspects of doing search, I would say. Um, one that I definitely underestimated is just, um, yeah, you know, you think about the actual work itself is not that rough. It's the, you know, feeling of just not getting anything for the work that mm-hmm. really, you know, really is tough to get get over and keep pushing, keep keep going. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I bet. I bet. It, it, and it's, it certainly would be, you know, send, there's not many people that send hundreds of emails and have dozens of calls and continue to do that. And that's, that's why I yep. think that successful search fund buyers are the ones that, are, that really will end up being pretty decent business owners if they get into the right business, because they, <laughs> to be that persistent, you're yeah. going you're gonna to probably be able to be pretty persistent in your business too. Well, it certainly has uh, taught me a few things too about, uh, you know, I thought I knew a good bit about sales and marketing. Um, this has certainly added a few tools in the toolbox, I'd say, in terms of just persistence yeah. and, you know, how to go about reaching out to, uh, yeah, develop the sales pipeline. Ah, awesome. Awesome. So, then, then when you get down to it, you're, you, you are pretty excited because you've got a, you've got a couple that are getting, might be getting closer into it. So this is, mm-hmm. this is something we get in. So what, let's back up a little bit and just what kind of businesses were you looking for? I forgot to ask you that earlier. So, yeah. So, you know, I've got a little bit, as kind of touched on a little bit of a varied background, um, mm-hmm. which is somewhat unique in that a lot of searchers, they have experience that's specific to you know, a certain type of industry, be it medical or engineering background, what have you. Um, So in my case, that's been kind of a blessing and a curse in that I've kind of had a little bit of a uh, agnostic approach. And, you know, I can have a conversation uh, with a lot of different business owners and relate to them in some form or fashion because I've, you know, seen a lot of what they've seen in either of them administrative functions or marketing or, um, 
yeah, somewhere along the line kind of touched on the issues that they've had to deal with in the course of their career. Yeah. But to put a finer point on it, I'd say that, uh, you know, I've looked heavily into, you know, technology enabled asset management. So using RFID and barcodes and other technology to kind of track where your inventory is, your uh, forklifts, your trucks, what have you. Um, I've also looked pretty heavily into some of those inspection companies that may use similar types of technology to manage inspection data for the companies that they, uh, that for their clients. Okay. Um, Very cool. You know, I've, I've looked into um, along the same, same lines, like emissions testing and kind of compliance for, um, you know, oil and gas and chemical uh, refineries and infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Um, but a few of the things that, you know, all these different companies have in, or industries have in common is typically, you know, really sticky revenue and potential growth opportunities. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so when I'm looking at an industry niche and trying to judge if it's worth my time, you know, that that's one of the biggest priorities is how, you know, the quality of the revenue. Uh, how risky is it? You know, like you touched on customer concentration. Um, how recurring is it? You know, do I have to every year uh, go out and, you know, find new projects to make sure I hit the same level of revenue that as I did last year? Or, um, or do I wake up January 1st feeling like I've got, you know, 95% of my revenue spoken for already? Yeah. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of other aspects certainly that goes into it, but that I would say is probably the, the top. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something that we've, you know, cause we run into it on the sell side, helping, helping owners get their businesses ready to sell and selling them is, is that over, or if you're in a business for 20 years, you can have a 20 year relationship with a customer that grew from very small to being a very significant part of your business, 70, mm-hmm. 80% even sometimes. And it's not that risky to you because that happens over time. Yep. But someone walking in and seeing that, that that's, that's almost unacceptable. I mean, I'm absolutely, it, it, you, you just can't take that kind of risk. No, but one, and, per, and- one, one walking away. And also to that point, you know, nor would the bank that's uh, yes. underwriting the deal. <laughs> yes, you're right. You know, you're right. So the uh, point being is, you know, I'm I'm typically looking at a lot of risks can be mitigated. You know, mm-hmm. there are things that can be done to try to reduce it or at least, you know, game plan around what happens if, you know, if the unfortunate event occurs. But, uh, you know, if you have a risk that uh, is existential in nature, like if if that customer that you're referring to decides that, you know what, they've got a 20 year relationship with the old owner. They don't know me from Adam. And so they're going to shop the business. And if yeah. I don't keep it, then, yeah, my company's dead on arrival. Like yeah. I can't fund the debt. That, yeah. uh, and so, yeah, at that point, yeah, it's <laughs> there's other risks, you know, I spoke to a company that uh, had significant vendor risk where they pretty much their entire business was dependent on one vendor. And Oh, by the way, that vendor happened to be a competitor. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and yeah, they, they had a great relationship with that vendor, but you know, 
that for all I know is very much on uh, the fact that the vendor trusted the individuals in that business and they had a long-standing relationship with those owners, but they don't have that with me. Yeah. Um, and while certainly I'd like to think I could build that relationship and work with the seller and the, you know, customer or vendor to, you know, maintain it. Um, there is no guarantee of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, <laughs> it's so great. Just let, letting you explain your thinking behind this stuff, because I know the people listening are going to love this. The business owners are going to begin to visualize how their business will, will be seen by a potential business buyer better. And, mm -hmm. and it's so valuable because like you said, you know, that, that kind of stuff can creep in over time. That kind of stuff is, well, Damon's always done business with Jill and Jill's awesome. Their friends, their families go out, you know, whatever for 20 years, we've known each other. And for, if, if that, if that relationship is critical to the business, someone probably is going to look at it. Well, they aren't probably, you're going to look at it a lot differently. Like yep. you said, it can be customer or vendor or, right. or employee too. Cause right. I'm sure that you run into situations too, where you go, okay, this is a great business, but there's too many family members in it and things like that, that if you go, okay, if the, the father wants out and, and they've got, you know, three, three cousins and two kids that are doing it out of, out of 50 people. And those yep. are in key positions. That's, that's another thing. So one of the things that, that I don't know if you run into this, but I've always thought this, but I was going to mm -hmm. see if I just came to me. So if you are in a situation that you considered that, that you're going to have to pay the owner, but they're going to stay on with the company in some other uh, role, right? Mm -hmm. How much would you be weighing the fact that I'm going to give them a big chunk of money and what is their attitude going to be like after they receive that big chunk of money? Yeah, no, I, uh, so my approach typically is, you know, great if it happens, but I need to assume that it's not going to work out. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. There you go. Yeah. Because I was, I, I, uh, yeah. I had, so yeah. I had somebody was going to told me that uh, it was an owner and there were, there were, several owners and they were all pretty integral to the business and they were saying well we can we can keep working with the business and mm -hmm. keep things going i said so how do you think it looks if somebody's going to come in and, and pay you guys millions of dollars each uh what it, what what is your real um reason to come to work and work as hard as you're doing today right yeah exactly <laughs> and, and I just wanted to ask the question and let you explain it because I, I don't know if they ever really did believe me, but it's, it's again, it's perspective, right? It's, it's Yeah, it is. I mean, you know, certainly you have business owners who are, you know, they love coming into work, they're passionate yeah. about their business and their employees. And, you know, it's something that they want to see the business succeed after they sell it. And, you know, I absolutely believe that, you know, their heart, is in the right place and they genuinely yeah. think when the you know deal closes that yep they're going to spend the next few years working hand in hand with this new buyer to you know see this business grow and take care of their folks and you know and make sure it's a smooth transition um but the fact is yeah like you said at a certain point there's going to be 
issues with the business. There's going to be a disagreement between the buyer and the seller. There's going mm -hmm. to be, you know, something that happens that requires the seller to feel a good bit of stress uh, if they're in a senior management role, because guess what? That's just the nature of the beast. Mm -hmm. And when those periods of stress happen, um, either in the, between, in the relationship between buyer and seller or just in the course of running the business, you know, understandably, the seller's probably going to have the thought of, why am I doing this again? Yeah. I have more money than I know what to do with. Why am I not playing with my grandkids on a beach somewhere? Why yeah. am I putting up with this? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's just the reality that you know, as a buyer, we've got to assume that however um, compelling and however convincing their argument might be uh, that they're, you know, want to stay on board, uh, we got to just assume that it, it's probably not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's not going to work. Or, uh, you know, awesome. Awesome. Well, you know, the, the thing is, what are, what are some of the good things you've learned and the good things you've seen, seen as you've gone through this about yourself? I mean, what did you, what, I mean, you, you said you underestimated stuff, but what are some things that you really learned about yourself? Cause you had to have some soul searching moments where you just said, is this really for me? Am I going to be? Yeah. Yeah. So I think, um, certainly I've found, you know, one thing I do want to mention, I think, is the model that I, you know, that I took with my search was a little different from the typical traditional search. You know, not only am I working with a single sponsor, but I'm working with a group that takes a different approach towards um, both, you know, and, and by having a cohort of other searchers every year um, that you're working with. And so in my yeah. case, I've got four other individuals who are doing the exact same thing I'm doing. Maybe they have an industry focus that's different from mine. Um, so in the office here in New Orleans, you know, I've got a uh, young woman who's former Army major that was in charge of all mental health services at Fort Bragg. You okay. know, 400 staff that she was managing, serving 85,000 uh, family and service members. She's working in mental health. But, you know, it's one of these things where having an office to go to with peers that you can kind of, you know, share stories with, complain about, you know, your investors, your uh, sellers, your deals that fell through, um, you know, your analysts, <laughs> likewise, you know, uh, prop each other up. Yeah. And when a deal falls through or when one of us is feeling a little demotivated, just knowing that you've got a group of other people going through the same thing and, you know, cheering you on helps. I guess yeah. maybe the phrase is misery loves company, but it definitely, in my case, has helped propel me through this. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. That's great. Um, I mean, because I think you're right. You're right. Having having people along with you helps. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, so that that was a big part of it. I think I you know made the absolutely made the right choice um, working with the group that I did, because I don't know if I'd still be doing it if I was on my own. Yeah, uh, frankly, the. Um, other things I found, you know, I think, um, like I said, you know, I, I definitely have felt good about um, the process that I've run. You know, mm -hmm. my email campaigns, I send out hundreds of emails and uh, I've got a 40 to 50 percent response rate. Um, wow. Now, granted, most of those responses are <laughs> 
stop pestering me. Uh, yeah. Oftentimes not using such pleasant language. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, it still is encouraging to feel like I'm doing a good job um, uh, with my approach. And likewise, to know that, you know, I've developed some skills that I can really exercise and flex, hopefully with a higher conversion rate down the line um, as I'm building out sales pipelines for whatever company I buy. Yeah, yeah. Well, this this has been awesome, Thomas. I I just I can't tell you how much I appreciate you taking the time to share with us because, man, from the comments we're getting and just from me getting excited about talking to you and and mm -hmm. surely the the business owners that are listening to this understanding that the perspective of a buyer and in your case how a search fund uh, buyer looks at this and the and the the kind of work that you have to go to go through to get mm -hmm. to a deal in the end, it's, it's really commendable. And, and I, I just, I just want you to know that I'm rooting for you, man, because it is, <laughs> it, it, it's cool that you're, you're putting in the work and you should succeed by, by doing the right things and, and keeping, keeping going. So, um, sure. I just, I just, uh, appreciate you being here so much. And, and if someone wanted to contact you is LinkedIn a good place to get a hold of you, Thomas? LinkedIn's a great place. Um, you know, I've also got my email and phone number um, on my website, I believe. Okay. Uh, yeah, I don't know if you can share that in the comments. Yeah, right I will share that in the comments. So we'll have that. But yeah, yeah. So if someone has a business that's in that uh, inventory tracking, emission testing kind of business, you know, and, and like you said, you want something with sticky revenue and, and great growth <laughs> opportunities, you know, that's, they should definitely reach out to you because it's, uh, it's, yeah. uh, good to put buyers and sellers together. That's for sure. Absolutely. Um, and likewise, if a business owner just wants to have a conversation about how it works and has a few questions, happy to have a, you know, just candid conversation and give them a peek behind the curtains. All right. Awesome, Thomas. Well, thanks for being here today. Thanks everyone for listening to the Faces of Business today. And with my incredible guest here, Thomas Campbell, just talking about, you know, the the trials and tribulations for a better way to say it of being a search fund business buyer. Thanks so much, everyone, for listening. We'll be back again next week. Have a great weekend, everyone. Thank you.